how do you know God? You only know God through experience, right? Like you can read all you want about it. You only know him through experience. That's my firm conviction. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, and we have a very special guest with us this week. His name is Doug Nix. Doug is the founder and chairman of Stillwater Capital Corp., which is the largest kingdom-focused investment bank in North America. And we're going to hear all about that here in a minute. But thank you, Doug, for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. It's just a, a delight to be here. So... I think this is our first guest that splits time between Toronto and Atlanta, and uh, you're not going to hear that too often. So we'll get into all of that, but let's start as where we usually do, Doug, of where did you grow up and what was your family life like? I grew up in the Toronto area, three sisters, two older, one younger. My dad was an auto mechanic. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We were poor, lived in a basement apartment for the first 16 years of my life. And then my dad uh, passed away when he was 49 and I was 19, which left a yeah, massive hole in the family. Yeah. And uh, I was going to university at the time. And I re remember the day I got the call and coming home on the bus from uh, out of town wondering what, what just happened to my world. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, this is just a, a complete aside. But for me, 49, I I'd lived my life looking forward to 49 to say, yeah. Well, I outlive my dad, right? Yeah. And so when I hit 50, it was a big celebration. You know, <laughs> some really cool things happened. My dad uh, and mom became Christians when I was young. And, and my father was, uh, he was a heavy drinker and a smoker. The Lord immediately drink, delivered him from drinking, never delivered him from smoking. And, um, and uh, so, but, you know, and then they also, my, my folks were also tithers. Mm. And um, so I grew up in a tradition of giving, you know, and my mom, even though we didn't have too much money, her, she would always say, you can't outgive the Lord. So that, that was a great, a rich, a rich tradition for me. And uh, fortunately, my wife grew up in the same tradition. So today I'm, uh, I'm married 43 years, well, going on 43 years to Nancy we have three adult children who are married in their 30s, and I have 11 grandkids. Wow. So it's, uh, yeah. So that, that verse, it says, uh, children are a blessing from the Lord, uh, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Well, my quiver is filling up. You know, Love so, it. So yeah. Are they all in uh, nearby? or No. One of them lives 20 minutes away. In Canada, we measure distance in time, okay? So just so you don't, right. <laughs> it's a funny thing when you realize it. Another one's an hour and a half away, and then the other one is uh, five and a half. We're five-hour plane ride in Calgary. Gotcha. Uh, so, but it, but we're, we're close as a family. The Lord's blessed us with that. I love it. So now, now, where did your faith come from? You talked about your parents. So did they take you and your yeah. siblings? Yeah, I could. Yeah, so I grew up in a um, a fundamental Bible church, and um, you know I've spent several years since on learning some of the stuff I've taught. Yeah, you yeah. know, and um, but I was I'll just I'll track a little bit of my faith journey yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. 
So I was, uh, so I grew up in university. I met my wife, Nancy, through uh, what was then InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Yep. And, you know, I was attracted to her faith, amongst other things, but her faith. And, and so we knit our hearts together. We got married. And she's a real stalwart in guiding me along. But, but along the way, though, I had this, um, I'm not sure if you've, you've heard of Pat Luciani's uh, videos, The Six Working Geniuses. Have you seen that one? Yes, yes. Okay. So I'm really gifted in the area of wonder and invention, right? So I would see stuff and go, why is it like that and not like that, right? And it's, it, I, in looking back, I didn't understand it, but I, under, I understood it. I saw it come to play in church. When I was in my late teens, I started looking at scripture and looking at church and going, why is there a difference between what I see in the scripture and what I see in the church? Right. And so, so I didn't understand that that was because that's just the way I was wired. But then, and then I was, you know, I was going, I don't want to hear about how we can explain away why that's that was then and this is now right. right so that really led me on a journey and it took us to um experience into the building our faith experience of the holy spirit and it put us into leadership positions in the church so uh teaching uh in music this is in addition to full-time work at um price waterhouse coopers yeah. As well. So, so Nancy, I, we got married, we moved to Bermuda for two years and it was, uh, it was the greatest thing for our marriage because it was just her and I in our marriage and we, it knit our hearts together. Right. And it kind of took all the family and friends and all of those influences, moved them away. Wow. Good point. Yeah. So it was really, it was really good. And then, uh, because I was ambitious, we moved to New York city. I, I worked there for three years. Our first daughter was born. And lo and behold, the, um, I was leaving at six 30 in the morning, get home at nine 30 at night, loving the, the work experience. It was like the, there's a vibrancy and a go to it, but work was not my number one was not the priority of my life. It was faith, then family, and then work. And I, I'd seen too many people willing to blow up their family over work. And so one day Nance sent me down and said, Hey, look, I'm feeling like a single parent. I don't want to be a single parent. And my heart was, I don't want you to be a single parent and I don't want my daughter to not have a dad. So we moved back to Toronto and I have to tell you, it was like going from, um, secretary at the race course on to Elsie, the cow, you know, if you really think you like that. Yeah. It was just, it was a marked difference, but we were still active in the church. I was on leadership teams, like the elders. I was teaching, I was speaking, I was on prayer teams and then along the way, in my late thirties, you know, I, I had a crisis and that here's what the crisis was. I found myself asking, is this all there is, right? Is this when Christ said, you know, I've come that you, you could have life and have life the way God intended life to be lived. Is that the life that I'm living right now? And it, it reached a, a point I was driving home one day and this question came, if Jesus Christ was sitting in the passenger seat beside me. What I know him, right? What I what I really know him. What I know him as a friend. What I know him as a brother. And I tell you, to no, I'm really active in the church, high profile. I'm kind of like, yeah, you want your son to be like Doug. That's the kind of position that was. And to my embarrassment, I had to say, no, I wouldn't know him, right? 
And for me, I, I want to live a genuine life. And I, I, I said to myself, you know, either what I believe is true or it's not. If it's true, I'm going to pursue it. And if it's not, I'm going to abandon it. So that was the turning point in my life. And um, I said, uh, so I'm going to go through, because I want to find out what it means to be alive in Christ, starting when I'm 40 and have 40 years to live it out, and not when I'm 70 and have 10 years to live it out. Right? So that, that was what happened. So I made a decision. I said, Lord, I'm going to press in as hard as I can, as deep as I can to you. And I'm going to find out if you're real. And if you're real, then I'm going to serve you. And if you're not, I'm not. So it started with three prayers. And so the, the three prayers, the first prayer was, it was a, a prayer of surrender. And this is a prayer of surrender. I'm just telling you what I did. Okay. It's yeah. not for everybody, but what I did, it was a prayer of surrender over three weeks. And I was doing it while I was driving back and forth to work. And I would pr- I would surrender a specific thing on each of the legs, right? And so, you know, our finances were tough. Like I was, that was always a point of vulnerability for me. So that was the easiest thing to let go. <laughs> Take this, Lord, I give it to you, whatever you want. The last two, I just remember I was driving like 75 miles an hour, driving home, hardly able to see because I was crying through surrender. So the first one, or, or the second last one was my hopes, dreams, and ambitions. Lord, I give you all of these, do with them, whatever you please. And, and that was hard because I'm an ambitious guy. Mm. And I had, so I was basically saying, Lord, take my future, right? Yeah. And then the very last one that was hardest, I, I gave him my kids, right? Mm. Now, my kids were 10 and under at the time. And I had, like, they were just the core of my heart. And as I was praying through it, you know, the, the question comes, what if the Lord decide to take one of your kid? Just don't want to surrender. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to trust you, Lord. Right. And I just remember like I, like my shirt was drenched from crying, but I did. I said, Lord, take, take my kids, do with them as you please. And don't let me pull them back from you. So that was the surrender. I did that across and I still pray those prayers regularly because it's easy for me to try and take stuff back. And I was telling guys, sharing that story a few years ago, and the Lord just knocked me on the head and said, Doug, well, you, you surrendered them to me. How do you think I did? <laughs> and I said, you know, Lord, you did a wonderful job, better than I could have done on my own. So that was one prayer. The second prayer was, Lord, make me the man that you want me to be. And if I cry out for you to stop, ignore me, right? And people go, ooh, and that's a brave prayer. And, you know, in some ways it was, but, but really, in the end, if we're serious about our faith, like, what's the point of our faith? Well, he's if it's not for our lives than we do. Exactly. Trust thing, you know. Yeah. And then the last prayer was, show me, Lord, show me what separates me from you. So, so those are the, I surrender, make me, show me. So I did that. And you would think things would get immediately better. <laughs> well, he didn't. Right. The Lord actually took me up my word, right? And so we went into, I was fired from my job a little t- while later. Uh, we were flat broke, I can tell you. And um, there an awful line of credit and in a tough job market. And uh, just going, oh man, I, I just remember sitting there and saying, if I can just get through the summer, we're going to be okay, right? But 
there is stuff that was wrong with me, Jeff. I just have to tell you that my pride, my arrogance, my independence, my ego, my self-righteousness, all of that stuff. None of that is gone. Okay. I just, I just want you to know, but the Lord is working really hard to, to, uh, to minimize its impact on my life. But those are the things that I felt that the Lord needed to deal with. And in and, and his wisdom, he did that. And sometimes it wasn't easy, but those were lessons that I had to learn. So, so we, we went through that. I was uh, in partnership at the time with two partners on an investment banking firm here in Toronto. Neither one of them were believers. And I had this, this growing sense of unequal yoking, you know, like yeah. I'm in, in, in partnership with non-believers. And I remember I was at a conference in Mexico of all places and 11 o'clock at night, I'm sitting out on the rocks, looking at the, the water. And I just, here's the prayer. I said, Lord, if you feel the same way as I do about me being unequally yoked, would you break the partnership? You know, six weeks, I'm not going to do it myself because I have had a, a tendency in the past to run away from things when the going is difficult. And I resolved, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to persevere until the Lord takes me out. So six weeks later, something happens and the, the partnership fractured. So I saw, oh, Lord, this is great. Now you're opening up the door now for this new season of blessing and life and magnificence, right? Now, what is it? So I had this question in my life and I told you earlier about there's stuff I have to unlearn in the, so here was one of the ones and it's the idea of a bifurcated life. And a bifurcated life for me is that life where there's a secular part of my life and a sacred part of my life. And they're separate. And it got, so in the tradition I grew up in, if you had a higher calling on your life, well, you'd go into full-time ministry. Right. right? And being in business, well, that wasn't sacred until it came time to fundraise. <laughs> and, right. And, and then- Ten percent of it is sacred. But yeah, and I said, you know what? I I, I just I smell smoke on that teaching, uh-huh. right? And it's not true, right? The and I've come to the point in my life where I say my whole life is sacred. When I follow Christ, when I've given myself completely to Him, my whole life is sacred, right? And and that's the same. If somebody's laying in a hospital bed sick, their life is still sacred. Everything they do is sacred. A stay-at-home mom, her life is sacred. A stay-at-home dad, his life is sacred. His work, there's no difference between the uh, what they do and who they are. It, it's just that they're living in a sacred spot. And um, so I wanted to move away and say, okay, if I really believe in a non-bifurcated life, that everything I do is sacred, if I have a business where I am pursuing an all-knowing, all-present all-powerful God. And here's, here's the critical part. Who wants to speak to me at every point of my life when I ask him, right? What would that business look like, right? So we found in Stillwater around that, right? So that's how Stillwater came to be. And our constating document very clearly says that uh, Christ is our uh, senior partner in the firm, right? And um, we're here to glorify him. He's going to bring the opportunities, and we need to live in a an attitude of praise and worship with our senior partner. Love it. Now, how has that evolved? That was in 2002, right? That's right, yes. And so, 20-plus well, years, and I'm sure the idea of it, and then since you've given things over to him, right, the, 
what you thought maybe was on your spreadsheet and what actually happened, I'm going to guess are a little bit different and I'm sure there's been some twists and turns. So maybe take us through a few of that. Yeah. So there are a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. And it started, I did something in my youthful exuberance. We started without any clients. So if you know in investment banking, there's no closings. It's transactional, right? It's transactional. And, and a transaction takes, today it's taken us nine months, but then it was taken 14, 18 months. Wow. So we, we, we didn't have a whole lot of cash coming. Right. And so at the 18 months in, um, it was October. I just remember it was like the first of October. I was going up to the credit card, uh, put my credit card in the gas pump and go, hey, am I going to have enough money to put gas in my car? Things were miserable. Right. And I'll just tell you like the numbers that we had, uh, our first year income was less than $140,000 and our rent was 70000 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I remember first of October, Nancy and I were praying about it. I just said, hey, honey, I, I feel like we got to close the business down. Because, and it's okay, because we got it wrong. I got it wrong. I thought the Lord was here to really do something special in Stillwater. But I, I must have heard him wrong. So in six weeks' time, unless something changes, we're going to close Stillwater now. And so the 15th of November was that date, 2004. Mm-hmm. Well, 2000, no, 2003. Yeah, 15th of no- November, 2003. Uh, Friday, the 14th was the Friday night. So I remember I'm sitting at my kitchen table and the phone rings and it's a guy that I knew he was calling me. He said, I got a small project for you, Doug. Right. And so Friday night, eight o'clock, I go, Randy, where are you calling from? He goes, oh, I'm in the backseat of a taxi in Shanghai. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I go, wow, nobody calls me from China. <laughs> and he said, no, the Lord just prompted me to do that. So here I am. And so we get up Saturday morning and I, we're sitting in Nancy having a coffee. I go, Nancy, what do you think? you feel like we should pack up and leave? She goes, I don't feel that's the right thing for us to do. I said, you know, I'm, say, I'm feeling the same thing, but there's got to be a change. So it's interesting because then uh, there's a, a grocery store behind us. So Nancy has to go get some milk. She, uh, and she, it takes her twice as long. She comes back. She goes, Doug, you wouldn't believe what just happened. I said, oh, well, tell me. Uh, there was a guy that we knew who had had the gift of prophecy. So for people who aren't familiar with that, it's like, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Okay, that's what it, and he said, look, and, and we didn't see him that often. He said, I've been praying for you all week, and, and I just really feel the Lord saying, don't give up. Now, he didn't know what we were going through. No idea. Yeah. No idea. He just don't give up. So that kind of sealed it. Now, we muddled along until October 2004, and this is sort of where we started to see some difference. But we had got a copy of Robert Morris, you know, uh, Pastor at Gateway. He, he had a teaching on giving in the Blessed Life series. And there's a line in there. He said, you know, a lot of you people are a lot more afraid of your landlord than you are of the Lord. Right? Mm. And, uh, and he started talking about uh, the call to give of the, our first fruits, right? And... You know, cash flow was tight. And at the end of November or end of October, we're, I was sitting there going, okay, what do we do? We could, we have um, $2,500 that we should, if we're given first fruits, we have over the past five months, got $25,000 of revenue. So, so we decided for us off, tithing off of revenue is the right number. So 10% of that is 2,500 bucks. Right. 
So we just said, okay, well, we can either pay the rent for the first of November or we can tithe. And we looked at each other and we said, you know what? If, if this business can't support a tithe, it's not a business. So 2500 bucks. we go, okay, look, balls in your court, right? Wow. And uh, a week later, the, the money came in to uh, pay the tithe. And, and then that month, we generated um, $17,000 in November. So, but uh, at the end of the month, by the time we paid all the bills, it was either tithe or pay the rent. So we said, well, <laughs> let's go for two. And so we, we tithed again. And um, three days later, uh, the money came in for the rent, right? Mm-hmm. And then for the next two and a half years, we just saw increase, increase. Yeah. And so at the end of two and a half years, I'm looking at the numbers um, yeah. here. We had generated in the next two and a half years, two and a half million of revenue and gave a quarter of a million dollars, right? And, and when you think of a quarter of a million dollars in the context of $140,000 first year income, that's almost twice our first year income, right? And nothing had changed, Jeff. Like it, we hadn't done anything different. We right. weren't marketing anything different. Right. You know, it, and it's just, it was the Lord. And so we were all excited about it. I stopped counting at that point. Uh, that was uh, April 2007. I stopped counting and um, and then 2008 came. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. What just happened here? And so we rode out the storms along the way. And, you know, it was, of all the places for me, my areas of vulnerability have been in financial provision. I think because of the where I, where I grew up, it was difficult, right? And so I feel that the Lord trained me the most by using that, by allowing things to happen in my life. So let me just, I'll finish that story on the, on the financial part, and then I'll come back and tell you something we did and that changed my life. Is that fair? Right. Okay. So on the financial part, we got through it, you know, we, we kept giving, we set up uh, a foundation at National Christian Foundation. So we have Stillwater Foundation. We give 10% of our revenue in there. But we were, we had a big project that was delayed in 2019. And we had concentrated all our efforts on it. It's all back end loaded. And um, the money was really tight. Now we had staff, we put everybody on payroll. So, you know, Nancy and make made a commitment to our people that we'd kept in every situation, never missed a pay. Uh, and we were the shock absorbers on that. And, and so I just remember cash was really tight and I was praying, Lord, why is this happening? Father, why, where is this, you know, test me in this city if I don't, right? That, you know, that verse, if I don't open the floodgates, I don't. Yeah. So we were, uh, as I was going through it to me and I, I would give this advice to anybody going through financial difficulties. First, you'd need to have right standing with the Lord. Okay. For the promises of the Lord to work in our life, we need to have right standing. Okay. So it's like, we can't having a bunch of sin in our life stands in the way of the Lord doing what he wants to do in our life. That's just been my experience. And I think scripture would support that as well. So I said, Lord, is there something I'm doing or if I'm not doing, like, just tell me what it is. and I'll change. Like, it doesn't matter. Your original three prayers. Show, show me what's in the way. Yeah, show me. Because I don't want to be here, Lord. I do not want to be here. And if there's something you want me to do, 
I am ready. I'm, right. I, you know, makes more, I'm tapping out, Lord. <laughs> just, just let me go. So the Lord was good and gracious. He said to me, Doug, look, there is nothing like it. My conscience did not con- condemn me like James had said, if your conscience doesn't condemn you. He said, but, but he, there was two lessons that came out of that for me. Uh, well, first is I always ask when there's a difficulty, is there something that I need to change, mm-hmm. right? Because I want to change that, get that out of the way as quickly as I can. But number two, then the, the first lesson was sometimes, Doug, the trials that you go through are not for your benefit. Now, this is a really cool insight because after the fact, like Dan and I went through this together and I think we did well, did it with grace, right? So many people came up to us and said, we were watching you as you went through this, mm-hmm. right? And I think that sometimes when you're going through those difficult situations, the Lord is doing that so people around us can see how the mature sons and daughters of the living God provide a witness to others. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so um, don't don't despair when the Lord's using us as a as a witness to others. Right. So that was that was an important. It's a really interesting point because I didn't think that's where you were going. I thought you were going to say, "Oh, there's a lesson in this for us," and I guess there is. Of be aware of your witness. Yeah. And, but, but this idea of trials, I always, I think most of us as believers think of that as, okay, uh, what, what's he trying to teach me yeah. by allowing this to happen as opposed, I really like that perspective. Also, don't, it's not always about us. It's a very yeah. North American <laughs> it, it is, that, isn't that it? I'm guilty of. I, <laughs> what is the witness that I need you to provide a witness in the way that you, that's really yeah. interesting. I like that. Yeah. So here, here was the, the other lesson we learned in this. I remember it was August now. I was sitting in the meeting in my boardroom by myself, just waiting on the Lord. And I felt the Lord ask me this question, Doug, how do you think the Israelites felt after they'd left Egypt and the Red Sea's in front of them and the Egyptian army is behind them, right? I said, probably a lot like I feel right now. Wrapped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Going, what is going to happen to me? And then, then this is how I knew it was of the Lord. Then the question came, Doug, how do you think they would have felt if they knew what was going to happen when they got to the Red Sea, right? And I said, well, they would have run to the Red Sea, right? And he's, why is that? Well, because the waters parted and it's a point of deliverance. So I really felt the Lord say to me, Doug, in your life, I want you to run to the Red Sea in the face of difficulties, because it is at the, the Red Sea, at the point of the impossible, that you see my power at work in your life. And that was, that to me was like, oh my goodness, Lord, that journey for me was worth it. Run to the Red Sea, because it's at the point of the impossible that you will see my power. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of our financial journey. But then there's a, another part of our spiritual journey that has been really cool. A friend of mine in Chicago said, hey, between my house and my office, there's a Starbucks every half hour or every morning I go and spend half an hour at Starbucks, pray a little bit, read a bit, and listen a bit and write it down. He said, you should try that. So in October 31st, 2012, I said, okay, uh, you've, you've worn me down. Six months of hearing this for you, I'm going to try that. So so that's what, what we did is I started, I remember just going into the boardroom and saying, okay, Lord, here I am. And 
And I started that and I, I started writing down, I said, okay, well, is and blah, blah, blah. And, and then the Lord started speaking to me through these, Jeff. It's, it's remarkable. And, I, and I've kept that practice up now to today. Uh, and there's the Lord, like this, it has been such uh, an eye opener for me on the inner healing journey where, where I've looked around and I'm saying, I feel the Lord, I'm, I'm thinking, I just remember an exchange one day with my daughter and I, corrected her on something and she told dad you always have to be right and it kind of cut me to the quick so that morning i got i can't wait to sit down with my father and uh say hey lord did you hear what she said can you believe that and i and i felt the lord say to me doug here's the thing you need to be more like me and less like you i said well what do you mean father goes well you're wrong a lot and i don't correct you every time you're wrong right and there is no gift of correction Right. right. So even though you feel like you have the gift of correction, there is no gift of correction. So, so that's the kind of stuff. And I found that a lot of the times I was looking, well, the problem's out there, but the Lord said, no, no the, the problem is in your heart, right? Right here. And so for me, it was that journey. And I can, I can see very clearly, Jeff, the financial struggles in our, our firm were, I think, in no small way related to the healing that I needed in my life, like to move away from that self-reliance, to move away from the independence, to move away from arrogance. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's an ongoing journey in my life. I wish I could say it's behind me, but, but to move away, because what the Lord is calling for in my life, and I think lives of sons and daughters, is a wholeness and a purity and a reliance. You know, like I was, I was reflecting the other day on, on um, uh, servant leadership and leadership in Christian circles. And, and here's, it was really stark. I felt the Lord saying, Doug, you know, a lot of people think leadership is a call to independence, right? Because now I'm the top, I'm making the decision. Mm. He said, no, actually leadership is a call to absolute dependence on me. It's a greater call and a higher call to dependence on the father. Right. So anyway, so I, I've been having my, this morning time with the Lord and and it has just been amazing. I've written it down. I've got, uh, the reason I write it down is I ask people lists. I said, look, who's your favorite athlete? And let's say the answer is Tiger Woods. Okay. Just for whatever, because they're golfers. And I said, if Tiger Woods called you up, uh, Jeff, and said, hey, Jeff, I got an hour. I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to tell you everything I know about golf. And then any questions you have, I'm going to answer those. Would you take a piece of paper? and write down what he told you. Good. And the answer is, well, of course you would, right? Well, why do you do that? Because I don't want to forget. Well, then you can probably see where this goes, right? And it's the, uh, then if you're going to sit with the creator of the universe, right? And he's going to tell you stuff and, and he's going to answer your questions. Why wouldn't you ever write that down, right? And take it. And so that I've done that. Like if you could see over here in the corner, I've got maybe a foot or so of notes of a conversation with, uh, with my father, right? Conversation with my friend, Jesus Christ, with, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And, and that singular thing has changed my life more than anything else. Right? We had, and, uh, and, yeah, we had Terry Looper on, sorry to interrupt, but we had Terry Looper okay. on who wrote a book called Sacred Pace that I would recommend everybody. And you can go back and listen to one of the early episodes and, 
and it's all about making decisions with God. And he has this great line that he always uses um, where he says, you have the God of the universe who knows everything, who's more than willing to give you every answer to every, frankly, every question, let alone business questions that you have. Yeah. I wouldn't you take him up on it. Yeah. I think you're just taking him up on it and writing it down, but I like the act of writing yeah. it down. Well, here's a really cool p- section of scripture that has meant a lot to me in these. It's Isaiah 28, 23 to 29. And this is about a farmer and where the Lord says, listen and hear my voice and pay attention to what I say. And then he goes through verse 24 and 25 says, hey, you know, when a, when a farmer plows for planting, does he always plow? Does, does he keep breaking up the soil when he's done this? Does he not do that? And then verse 26 in that passage, his God instructs him and teaches him the right way. And then you go down to verse 27 and 20, it talks about how the, God, the farmer knows how to harvest. And then verse 29 concludes the chapter. It says, all this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful and whose wisdom is magnificent. And so I'll just tell you how one of the, the things that I'm trying to do at Stillwater, it's say, how can we practically live out our faith, right? It, it's, it's one thing to say Bible study and prayer, but give me some tools, some practical tools that I can use, right? So here's one of the practical tools is I take that, I go in my boardroom, I got a problem I don't know how to solve. I open that up. I read that. So how do you recruit and find people? If Let's say you were hiring people of faith, right? You wanted people of faith in your business. It's not that easy in today's environment, right, to find that. So we, I was looking for a very specific person, and I, and I go, Lord, we have hired headhunters. I've talked to so many people. I can't find that person. And I read this passage. I said, Lord, as you instructed the farmer, would you instruct me? right, on how to, to, to find this person. And I, I'll tell you, within five minutes, this simple, simple idea came. It was make a list of the churches that believe like you believe, send their pastors a note, say, here's what I'm looking for. Two weeks later, we'd hire two people. Wow. Right? Right? It, but it's, it's that. The reason, maybe some other point we can talk about it, but the reason even I'm in conversation with you was because I sat one day in the boardroom with that, and I said, Lord, I don't know how to crack this specific market. Would you show me how to do it? Mm. And, that, and I'm here now because of that. So I felt so, everybody I talked to and encouraged to try that writing stuff down, it changed their life, everyone. And so what we did as a firm, I feel at, at Stillwater, it's not just about the professionalism, the professionalism of the people, but it's how do you care and nurture and build them up, right? How do you build their faith for those who have faith? How do you say you're going to be better wives and um, daughters and friends and husbands and spouses and dads and moms after having been part of Stillwater? So, so I felt, you know, one of the things that I find in, um, in life today is people are so busy, they don't have time to spend in that, that time with the Lord saying, Lord, just can, can you not do something here? So we did as we said, okay, what we're going to do is still water is we're going to have the company paid quiet time, right? So from nine to nine 30 every morning, because I felt it was hypocritical say to staff, Hey, I really encourage you to have a quiet time, but you got to find time during your day uh, when you're not here. So we said uh, nine to nine 30 company paid quiet time. So that's pretty neat. You walk in our office and for the most part, people have their head down having a quiet time. 
And then after a year or so, I was saying to Nancy, she's she's got the brains in the business, in the family. She, you know, I said, hey, I really want to sit down and talk to people and give them some direction and coaching because I'm really I'm really passionate about spiritual life, right? And she goes, that, oh, Doug, that's a bad idea. You're the boss. You can't really do that. So what we ended up doing is we hired a chaplain. Yeah, sure. And then the chaplain came on, you know, a W-2 and chaplain, W-2, comes in two days a week. And what I realized is churches, I, I think the pastoral care in churches right is today is focused so much on triage because people are bleeding out that there's a whole bunch of people who may be bleeding out and you don't know about it or aren't bleeding out but still have needs that aren't being met, right? So I wanted to say, look, for the people the Lord's given me responsibility for, I want to I want to see if if we can provide pastoral care for them. So we set up a function and just said, okay, he's coming in uh, two days a week, and anybody who wants can schedule a time, a recurring time. So everybody in our company sits with uh, him for an hour every two weeks, right? And here's the rule. Uh, I never know what's talked about in the meeting. Never know. And, and I'm telling you, it's been a really cool thing because there's two parts to this. First, when people are saying, what's the best part of working about Stillwater? That's one of them. Okay. It's not number one or number two. And it's not, well, if you have a problem, drop in. No, it's, it's somebody, we're four years into the program. It's somebody who's walking with our people regularly through life, who knows them, who loves them, who cares for them. Okay. You know, Doug, what, what hits me about uh, the story you're telling is when, when I saw your resume, for lack of a better term, or your background, I thought this is likely to be a pretty technical discussion oh. about <laughs> investment banking and structures and all kinds of financial stuff. And I'm a financial guy, we could totally nerd out on all of that. And I thought, well, that's probably where this thing is going. And it's so refreshing. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But uh, it's just been so much fun talking to you about the word that I wrote down in all caps as you were talking is the word abiding. Yeah. What I feel like you're trying to do is just increase your level of abiding with Christ. And as as he speaks through you and then creating a space. And again, this is the generous business owner podcast. What does this have to do with general? There's so many ways, as we've talked about before we started recording today of being generous in your business. And I love this idea of, I mean, you're giving away 10% of the revenue. Um, you, you've got a chaplain for your employees. You give them paid quiet time. Okay. Yeah. Those are functional, but why are you doing all that? This is in an outflow of your abiding, and, and because that has been so fruitful, what I see is an encouragement of creating an environment where everybody else is doing that and has those same benefits. Am, how close am I? Really close. Like, I, I hear a lot of people talk about, I've got this vision, i got that vision, I've got this, I'm going to do that. I don't talk like that, I, because for me, I'm here at the Lord's beck and call. Right, so Father, what do you want me to do? But I really believe there's for Stillwater. I want to have a company, as Beth Moore said, that a business that only God can explain. Right, mm. that's Beth Moore. I want that for Stillwater, and then I want our work to be of such high standard 
that it gives us standing with people who don't have a relationship with Christ to be able to talk about the hope that we have in Christ, you know? And, and I want to do that across the whole ranks of our business. Like it's, I see what we're doing as a spiritual experiment to build people up about walking. Like, how do you know God? You only know God through experience, right? Like you can read all you want about it. You only know him through experience. That's my firm conviction. Man, this is this has been incredible. Uh, we're gonna have to do another one of these. Uh, you're <laughs> such a you really are a gifted teacher. I'm I'm learning a lot. I, I'm taking pages of notes uh, for myself. And this this gift of sort of wonder and invention that you talked about earlier really comes through with even the way that you see stories and the things God reveals to you and the way you're able to express them so clearly. It's a real it's a real gift uh, that you shared with us today. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Well, listen, let's, let's close with one thing, and it might be a repetition yep. of something you've already said. You've given us so many little tips, but as we talked about before we started recording, we always like to leave with uh, just a practical tip. Somebody behind you on the journey, maybe they're in the pit a little bit. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, it's some kind of business owner who wants to be generous, but maybe they're struggling a little bit. What advice would you have for them today? Yeah, I would just ask you to spend some time asking, what do I really believe? Because what do you really believe affects what you do? So what do you believe deep enough into that informs your life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is? Do you believe that you serve an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God? Do you believe that the Lord will supply all of our need according to his riches? Right? This is not pro prosperity theology. It's not that at all. But it's we have a calling on our life to become mature sons and daughters. What does that mean? And I would just encourage people to say, well, what do I really believe, right? Mm -hmm. And then take, take scripture and say, Lord, I believe, cure my unbelief, right? So good. Well, Doug, once again, thanks for being with us. And uh, it's really been a Thanks, Jeff. Day. I appreciate that. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on this week's Generous Business Center podcast. Uh, go to our new website. Uh, www.generousbusinessowner.com and sign up for our newsletter and uh, share this podcast with some friends. I know I'll be doing that. And uh, leave us your rating and reviews. And uh, we thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.